You're listening to the Her Leadership Coach Podcast for the quietly determined career woman who's looking to step up into her first or next level leadership role. If you're looking to make a bigger, more positive difference in your organization, you've come to the right place. Well, hello, welcome in. It's Rochelle. Welcome back to season two of the Her Leadership Coach podcast. Thanks for joining me. How was your Christmas break? One of the things I'm working on getting better at is relaxing. I'm not all that good at it traditionally. I haven't done too badly this year, uh, but if I'm being honest, I still have a way to go. So yeah, I'm a work in progress. Anyway, I'm excited to bring you a new season of Her Leadership Coach and definitely excited about today's episode because I got to talk to Dr. Ryan Gottfriedson. Now, if you haven't heard of Dr. Ryan, he is the author of a couple of books, the latest one called The Elevated Leader. I absolutely love this book. You will hear throughout the interview how aligned our thinking is when it comes to being a leader rather than doing leadership. So without further ado, let's jump into the interview. I am so excited to be joined by Ryan Gottfriedson today. Welcome, Ryan. Thank you for joining me all the way from the other side of the world. I do appreciate it. Well, I'm I'm great, very appreciative that you'll have me from the other side of the world. So it's it's good to virtually step foot in Australia. Yeah, good, and and hopefully see you in person sometime soon. So I I just want to start with telling the audience a little bit about who you are, and then we'll dive into your latest book, which I'm excited about. For sure. No, it's wonderful to be connected. And so I'm a leadership professor at Cal State Fullerton. So I'm in Orange County, California. And we have the second largest business school in the United States. It is just a massive operation. And, and it is, it's great to be a part of it in many ways. There's some ways, you know, that aren't so good. Yeah. Well, that's okay. But yeah. it allows me to do a really deep dive and focusing on leadership as, as an academic. So I'm teaching, I'm doing research on leadership. And then I'm, I write books. So I've written two books. Uh, first book of Success Mindsets. I've got a new book that just recently came out called The Elevated Leader. And then I I leverage this to work with organizations all over the world to develop their leaders. So uh, we we kind of been hinting, I may be headed to Perth, Australia here in a couple months. So uh, looking forward to that. But I think the the whole focus of the work that I do, it seems to be aligned with with the focus you have, which is, if I was to summarize it, and and you you could add your own language to this, is I think so much of leadership development focuses on What do leaders need to do to be effective? Mm -hmm. And that's really helpful. But also at the same time, I think it's a little bit short-sighted because Mm -hmm. I don't know about you. I think that leadership is not something we do. It's something we are. And and we need to connect to our being and focus on our being maybe even more than we do our doings. Yes, I couldn't agree more. And that's that's actually the language that I use often is the is the be do have model. So be the leader first, yeah. then doing the leadership things. Once you once you are a leader, the doing is more natural, right? Mm-hmm. I I learned the lot the wrong way around to start with. So I learned how to do, you know, I went to I don't know how many courses worked through it, me and all doing courses. And so you know things like let's learn how to have a difficult conversation as a doing (laughs) it would be like uh here's your steps 
And then when I did a lot of self-work and a lot of, you know, development and really became a leader, the difficult conversations, I don't need a step-by-step. I just need to have like empathy, caring, like this person in front of me is a person and I connect with them on a person level. And so the conversations aren't really difficult there in service of them, right? So it, it just, a lot of that doing teaching doesn't need to happen when you have the being not to say none of it does because there's definitely yeah. some things that are really important but I just a lot of it drops away does it do you find that yeah well let me give you an analogy that I think will be helpful and I'm going to use some of the terminology uh in the work that I do so one of the things that is incredibly helpful to recognize is that there's two different ways to develop ourselves mm-hmm. one of the ways is to focus on the doings another way is to focus more on the beings yeah so we are used to focus on the doings. This is a form of development that I call horizontal development. We're adding new knowledge and new skills. It's kind of like adding an app onto an iPad. Mm-hmm. When we add an app onto an iPad, that broadens our functionality. And that's great. We can now do more than what we could do previously. But the challenge is, is we've got to ask ourselves, does the, maybe two questions, is that app compatible with our internal operating system? Yes. And another question is, if we add an app to our iPad, does it improve our internal operating system? Mm. Probably mm. not, right? So so to, to use your, uh, your example is I could go to uh, a workshop on having crucial conversations. They could teach me the doings. I could try to download the Crucial Conversations app onto my iPad, uh, iPod, mm-hmm. but if my body's nervous system is wired in such a way that I get really anxious yes. about conflict, yes, then no matter the skills that they teach us to do, those aren't going to work because our underlying internal operating system is not compatible with that app that was just downloaded. And so if we want to upgrade our internal operating system, it takes a different form of development uh, that I call vertical development, which is all about upgrading our own internal operating system so that we can better navigate things like change, pressure, uncertainty, complexity um, in in a manner that allows us to operate, literally just improve our being. Right? Yeah. That's the that's the vertical development component. And so the horizontal, the focus on doing it's it's it can be good, but it's always only going to be incrementally helpful at best. Yeah. When we focus on the vertical, it has the potential to be transformationally helpful. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I, it, I just that that um analogy made me just think of something. Sorry, sorry, I think of my kids, right? So they have they normally get my hand me down phones. And <laughs> so Um, there was one time where I think they were on an iPhone 5 say and the latest apps come out and at some point they can't download them anymore they just they won't go on there and that's the point that they'll come to me and go mom I need a new phone because I've got to play this great new game and it doesn't work on this phone and so I it kind of one of my questions was going to be what um, motivates someone to move from from level to level and we'll need to take a step back to go into these levels but um it just made me think 
is sometimes giving someone a doing education where they're just like this this doesn't compute I can't handle this is that part of a motivator to move up levels and we can come back to the answer for that but I just wanted to like it was just running around in my brain right then um so let's take a step back first and then come back to that do you want to just go through what you found in your in your research and your study around these different vertical levels that we can develop to? Yeah, so and I appreciate you asking because so the assumption here is that we can always upgrade our internal operating system. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the the concepts around vertical development come from the field of developmental psychology. So if you've never heard of the term vertical development, Welcome to the club. It's a term that's really only been around for about 10 years, but the research behind it dates back over 50 years, Um, but from the field of developmental psychology and developmental psychologists have long been interested in child development, right? Because we could see children almost develop right in front of our eyes. And what they've learned is that as children develop from infancy to adulthood, they go through a number of different stages. And they do so rather automatically. Their development is essentially a function of their age. Well, in the 1960s, select few developmental psychologists started to ask the questions of can adults develop? And if they do, do they go through different developmental stages? Mm -hmm. And what they found is that yes, adults can develop. And yes, there are three primary adult development stages But what they also found is that most adults actually don't develop in adulthood. So in other words, our development as adults is no longer a function of age. It becomes a function of effort. And and oftentimes what I find what holds us back from developing as adults is just we don't recognize that one, that we can develop or if two, what that even looks like. And so it's really helpful to have a framework around this. So um, what you're alluded to is that is these three different levels. And as we go from one level to another, that is vertical development. So it probably makes sense to unpack these three levels. Is that? Yes, please. Absolutely. Yes. So um, at each of these levels, what we need to recognize is our body's internal operating system is programmed to fulfill different needs. Mm -hmm. So at the base level, what I call mind 1.0, our body's internal operating system is programmed to keep us safe, comfortable, and feeling like we belong. Mm -hmm. So when we're here, we we, we join and identify with groups or tribes that will help us to feel safe, comfortable, and belong. So it, this this could be family, this could be friends, this could be a work group, right? If we or a religious group, if we step into this group at this mind 1.0 level, we don't want to lead, we don't want to take charge. We're like, I don't want to lead here, but I'll let you tell me what to do, mm-hmm. and I will go and do it, provided you keep me safe, comfortable, and feeling like I belong. Yeah. So almost all all adults have been here, whether we're here right now or not. We've all been here. We we should all be able to recognize this. And and it's it's a safe place to be. But when we're here, we're what we would classify as being dependent thinkers. Mm -hmm. The next level is mind 2.0. And you're going to see a really significant shift in the needs our body becomes programmed to fulfill. Mm -hmm. So the needs here are to stand out, advance and get ahead. In fact, we now become willing to be unsafe, uncomfortable, and not belong 
in order to stand out, advance, and get ahead. Mm -hmm. So there's a significant shift here from being a dependent thinker to now being an independent thinker. We're willing to push back against our tribe's beliefs. We develop our own beliefs, and we usually want to step into leadership roles so that we can fulfill those beliefs. So that's that shift from mind 1.0 to mind 2.0. Does that make sense or anything yeah. you want to add there? No, I, I guess, um, I, and I think that's where a lot of um, my clients start is the I'm in a mind 1.0 and I, I'm I'm feeling something <laughs> and yeah. I yeah. want to now lead, but that's still feeling uncomfortable to me. Um, and so yeah. there's this, yeah, there's this like um, war going on almost inside them where it's like, I, I want to be comfortable and I also want to lead. And I don't know how to put those two things together because leading feels uncomfortable for me right now. So yeah, that yeah. that's, I think a lot of people get to that space, whether they grow or not. Um, I'm sure you can tell us. Um, but yeah, so keep going with the next one as well. And then we'll yeah dive back into it. Yeah, well, I think you articulated that so well, because in these areas of shift, limiting mental beliefs start popping up, right? Yes. Which is in this in this space from 1.0 to 2.0 is, it, I, want, I want to stand out. I want to move forward. I want to bring about results. But if I stand out, then I'm no longer feeling safe or comfortable. And I may not belong. People may not accept me, right? So that there is a tension there that, that I think you identified really well. Um, so what statistics have found or what research has found is that 64% of all adults operate in mind 1.0. Wow. 35% operate in mind 2.0. Um, and in fact, 85% of executives operate in mind 2.0. Yeah. Only 1% get up to the third level, mind 3.0. Mm -hmm. So mind 3.0 is, again, you're going to see a significant shift in our needs. Our needs here are to contribute, add value, and lift others. Mm -hmm. So in mind 1.0, we kind of want to stand in. In mind 2.0, we want to stand out. Both of those perspectives are self-focused. Yeah. I want to stand in or I want to stand out. At this mind 3.0 level, we get to the point where we no longer care about standing in or standing out. We just want to contribute to something bigger than ourselves. We want to create value or add value to others. So these people are, are generally really purpose-focused. They are also they've also shifted from being at mind 1.0 as being a dependent thinker, at mind 2.0 as being an independent thinker, at mind 3.0 as being an interdependent thinker. And, and let me let me share with you one way in which I see this distinction uh, across the executives that I work with. So mm -hmm. when I ask a mind 2.0 person how they measure success. They will say something along, and I've gotten this answer before. They'll say something along the lines of, we measure success by double-digit growth year over year. Right. It's really results-oriented. Sounds it's very familiar. Right? Some sort of outcome <laughs> or result. Yep. When I ask mine 3.0 people, how do you measure success? They will never talk about results on, on numbered outcomes. They will talk about the value they created 
for whatever stakeholder that they happen to be serving. They will talk about changing lives or making a difference, disrupting an industry, right? The, the, it's a more of a qualitative answer. And, and what I, another distinction here is that Mind 3.0 leaders, they care deeply about culture. Yes. Because culture is, culture is an investment that you make now that pays dividends in the long run. Mm. And, and and because they're because they're not focused on standing in or standing out in the short term, it allows them to focus on that longer term perspective. Mind 2.0 leaders, they don't focus on culture. They focus on results. Yes. So because they why would I focus on culture now because there's no immediate return on investment. Mm. And so when you look at really vertically developed leaders and, and some of the leaders that I've studied are th leaders like Satya Nadella at Microsoft, uh, Ed Catmull at Pixar and Disney Animation, Indra Nui at PepsiCo, um, Mary Barra at GM, uh, Alan Mulally at Ford. These are some really vertically developed leaders. And one of the things you'll find across any of the material they put out or the books that highlight them is there is an emphasis on culture. Yeah. And and you just don't see of course we just don't see that in all organizations because mm -hmm. it really takes a vertically developed leader to appreciate and give space for culture because mm -hmm. they have that internal operating system that allows them to focus on the long term as opposed to the short term. Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear I you know you talked about some of the mind 3.0 leaders there. Do you want to just give an example of something that one of them have done that sort of shows, you know, uh, alongside the the idea of culture, what else are they doing that differentiates them from someone that a mind 2.0? Yeah. So I find that there's three foundational things that they do and that they focus on. Mm -hmm. The first and most primary thing that they focus on is purpose. They get really clear. They develop a clear, inspirational, and stakeholder-centric purpose. Um, and because, and the reason why they do this first, because it serves as the foundation for everything else they do. It becomes the filter by which they process all decisions. So an example of this, I, I think a really good example of this is Satya Nadella and Microsoft. Mm -hmm. So Steve Ballmer was the CEO prior to him. And during his 14-year tenure, he never developed a purpose or a mission statement. Mm. Satya and the culture at Microsoft was not great during that time. Satya Nadella came in and he said, the C in CEO stands for curator of culture. That's and he awesome. said, I spent my first year listening uh, to employees to get a better sense of where we're at and where they want to go. What is going to be our purpose as we move forward? And, and, and he, I think he already, he did have an idea of what the purpose was, Yeah. Um, but he spent that year listening and, and honing in on that purpose. Um, and, and they developed a purpose that is really clear, stakeholder centric and inspirational effectively. And I, I, I should look it up or I shouldn't have it memorized, but effectively it's we help others do the best job that they can in whatever it is they're doing. Um, and and that's, that's something that every employee, I think, could wrap their head around and be excited about. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so purpose? So purpose is the first thing. And, and similarly related to that is values. 
Mm-hmm. They focus on values. Now, a lot of organizations focus on values, right? They say we're customer centric. Like I moved to Southern California right before the big Wells Fargo debacle. Um, and and I go into the bank when I first moved to Southern California and it says our customers come first. Two years later, comes out that Wells Fargo employees are making fraudulent accounts for people who live in Southern California. Like, it's one thing to say it, it's another thing to live it. And so so really mind 3.0 leaders, they they rigidly hold on to these values. They are driven by these values. They are not assigned to kind of put on the wall. It's something that that at their core drives them. So it's that purpose and values together really become the filter by which they process all of their decision making. Like so another example of this is Alan Mulally at Ford. Mm-hmm. Um Ford, when he took over, they lost $12.7 billion that year. He took over in like September. So he can't do a whole lot of change in four months to to make a change. But what they ended up doing is they took out the biggest loan in history, which is crazy. You're a company that's losing $12.7 billion. Every other CEO probably would have said, we've got to cut costs. Yes. And he effectively said, well, we'll have to do some of that. But we are going to take out the biggest loan in history because and we're going to invest it in innovation. Wow. What he said is we need to create products that customers actually want to buy. And and that's that's what they did. And and a few years later, they were able to be the one U.S. auto manufacturer that didn't need a government bailout uh, during the economic downturn because they had taken out this massive loan. Wow. and and that's an example of we did this, you know, we did this because we have we have certain values to our customers uh, of our customers, and we are going to do something that's crazy, really difficult, and we're going to do it because it's the right thing for our customers. Um, and so that's that's a good example there. So uh, first one purpose, second one values, and then the third one is more related to culture, which is. They emphasize the creation of psychological safety in in the workplace. Um, The reality is, is that if people feel fear in their workplace, naturally they turn inward. It actually, they move down in their vertical altitude. Um, They become more self-protective. And and so the best, most vertically developed leaders recognize this and they are passionate about removing fear from the work environment. Yes, that's uh, that's that one's definitely speaking my language. In fact, all three are. Uh, but that one, you know, coming from a, a large organization and working with a lot of people in that organization around mindset and culture, um, and trying to to shift it, the biggest blocker that we hear again and again is the psychological safety. I don't have the safety to speak up and create change in my little team. As much as I hear what you guys are talking about, I want to do it. I'm just, I'm not, I don't have enough courage yet. Uh, and the psychological safety is not there. So, you know, if if there were more executives in the world that focused on that, like, I just wonder how much more amazing the world would be right now. <laughs> just be. Yeah, I, I'm there with you. And here's the challenge is that, the leaders that are the least psychologically safe are the mind 2.0 leaders. 
who are focused on outcomes and results, right? They almost feel like they need to force these outcomes. And in the forcing of it, they diminish the psychological safety. Yes. Uh, it's a, it's a unfortunate an unintended consequence of their style of leadership when they operate at that mind 2.0 level, which speaks to the value and the need for more mind 3.0 leaders. Yes. And I, I think we talked about this even before we hit started recording. I think one of the biggest challenges that I find with executives that I work with is they effectively say to me, I've never really met a great mind 3.0 leader. I don't have any role models mm -hmm. for this. Mm -hmm. And and that that is that that is something that holds us holds us back. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I think we were sort of saying um it's one of the issues at, at any level. So execs especially they have few role models at all, right? Because there's not really anyone above them. So they've got to look across and look yep. for role models across. But at any level in an organization, and I guess you have less mind three people the lower down that that people are generally. So you don't have role models, often not even role uh, mind 2.0 role models, let alone mind 3.0 role yeah. models. So people just aren't seeing that it's possible to to vertically develop I guess so which brings me to this back to this question of what's the prompt why being at my 1.0 I'm safe I'm comfortable I belong like that sounds good right yeah uh, why do I care why do I want to go to 2.0 and then at 2.0 I'm I'm getting somewhere finally in my life I'm progressing I'm moving up I feel good about myself because I, you know, my ego is like satiated because I'm moving up and getting results and people are doing things for me. Why would I give that up to move to mind 3.0? So what, what's the driver to, to move up a level? Yeah, well, it's, there is a necessary, it's not sufficient, but it's a necessary condition of vertical development. Mm -hmm. And it is experiencing a heat experience. Mm -hmm. Now, a, a heat experience uh, is something that could happen external to us. It is also something that we could create internally. So um, it's not uncommon. I would say one of the heat experiences that I've uh, that has happened to me in my career um, that I was able to leverage for my vertical development was I got fired from my job. Oh, nice. And it was, it was just a huge wake up call. Like, oh my goodness, I never thought I would be fired before, mm -hmm. but it caused me to question my assumptions. Mm -hmm. It caused me to question how I was thinking, how I was operating. And I, fortunately I was able to, to leverage that for my own growth and development. And, and that was actually the impetus that I feel like got me to move from mind 1.0 to mind 2.0. Um, and, and that was, it was game changing, uh, yeah. for, for me, for me to do that. But then we could also create heat experiences within us. Um, and, and having a framework just as we laid out is really helpful in that because it just gets us to ask questions we never would have asked before, such as what is my vertical altitude mm. and, and how might my vertical altitude, current altitude be helping me? And how might it also be holding me back? Yes. Right? It might be helping me feel safe, comfortable, and belong, but it may be limiting me from being 
more of the person that I want to be or having the impact that I want to have. It may be holding me back from getting the promotion that mm-hmm. I want, whatever that might be, right? So um, so we can create our own heat experiences. And maybe let me share just another example that's a part of my vertical development journey is I was kind of operating in Mind 2.0, and I still think I'm largely there, although I think I'm stepping more and more into Mind 3.0. Yeah. And and I'm I'm reading a book. It's a book called The Body Keeps the Score. It's written by Bessel van der Kolk. It's an incredible book. And it's a book about trauma and, and how to heal from trauma. And as I'm reading this book, I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, this is so fascinating. But I don't have any trauma in my background. But then he gets to the end of the book and he talks about different therapy modalities. And there's a certain therapy modality called eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing. It's EMDR. And, and he's laying out the research findings on this. And essentially he says, of all the therapy modalities, this has is showing the biggest effects for healing from trauma. And I'm thinking, and, and it kind of sounds a little hocus pocus to me, yeah, to yeah. you know, if I'm being honest with you. Yeah. And, but but the, the evidence is there. And so I actually reached out to an EMDR therapist near me. And I said, I just want to learn more. And she's like, do you want to try it out? And I was like, well, I don't have trauma. Can it help me? And she's like, well, everybody's got mental blocks. And this will help you get through your mental blocks. And you'll become more of the person you want to become. I said, all right, let's 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 try it out. So very early on in this in this journey with this trauma therapist, I discovered that I had trauma in my background. Yeah. Right? So I was never abused, right? My parents stayed married. They went to like every basketball game that I ever played. But what I also discovered is that while my parents were always there for me physically, they were rarely there for me emotionally. Mm-hmm. That I was emotionally neglected as a child. And I just simply didn't know any different because that was just my experience. Yes. It wasn't until I stepped into this. And that, so I've now been meeting with my trauma therapist for two years. And and it was my proactivity to engage in this process. And now I've been doing this work that I feel like this has been another heat experience that is helping me go from level two, mind 2.0 to mind, mind 3.0. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, it's just been... You know, I thought going from mine 1.0 to mine 2.0, I was like, oh, yeah, that's a huge change. And I just look back on the last two years and think I've grown more in the last two years than all of my adult life combined. It's just been uh, an unreal journey. So and, and through this whole process, I've learned the deeper I go inward, the higher I go in terms of my vertical development. Mm-hmm. And, and so. I, I just share this, not that my path is going to be the same for anybody else's, but just to give evidence of some external heat experiences, internal heat experiences, and how we could leverage that to to become more of our ideal selves. Yeah, I love that. I, I, th- I feel like I've had a similar journey. So the, the external heat experience was was applying for a role, a leadership role, and all, all four of us that apply, we're all women. And we're all told it is feedback, not from the person doing the recruiting, but someone higher up, interestingly, all told that we weren't leadership leadership material, all told that we weren't leaders, which made me really angry <laughs> at the time. And that that heat experience was definitely what led me to start this whole journey around, well, okay, I know I'm a hard worker. I know I would make a good leader. What, what helps 
women get promoted? What, what, you know, what do we need to do? And that led to a whole lot of more information around, okay, maybe I do have some work to do on myself. Um, surprise, surprise, right? Surprise, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then the internal was starting up this business. So this business is not my first business. I've been in business before. Um, I failed many times in business. I'm really good at failing. <laughs> and You're good at learning is I, what it. That's exactly it. I yep. know that every time I've I've been in business, I've learned something. And what I learned when I started this one or what I knew from the last few times is that business is more about you as a person than it is about uh, the business itself, right? You can, again, it's the being versus doing. I can do all of the the marketing and the systems and the teaching and the coaching, I can do all of that. But I know business is a mind game. Business is about who you are and you need to be really quite strong as a person to last through the constant points of failure in a business because you're always going to fail more than you succeed. Um, So I too went looking for, well, how do I you know, improve myself? How do I get to that level where I can start this business and stick at this business through all of those points where I know that there will be failures and, you know, um, so I did, yeah, I did a, a big training course around that, which helped me develop further. And I think like you, I'm still in a 2.0, probably most of the time I did your assessment, which we can talk about in a second. And I got high 2.0, um, which yeah. tells me I'm sometimes in 3.0 and sometimes in 2.0. And that feels about right for me. I know I've still got some work to do. And EMDR sounds fascinating. And I'm I'm such a curious person. So I definitely want to give that a try. Well, it's, what I, so I'm working on a research paper right now that's it's just really fascinating. And it's it's a paper where I'm reviewing what the research has found, the neuroscience has found between the connection between trauma and emotional intelligence. And effectively, what what science has found over and over again is that when people experience trauma, and that can mean a wide variety of things, our our brain goes through neural adaptations to survive those traumatic experiences. And those neural adaptations stick around, but they also inhibit emotional intelligence. That There's really two outcomes that occur from trauma at the brain level. One is essentially our limbic system can become overreactive. And then it's called our default mode network in our prefrontal cortex has a hard time regulating that. So these are people who are feeling, uh, you know, anxiety is is a common thing for for these people. Mm -hmm. An opposite effect can occur with other people where where the limbic system, where the default mode network actually gets so strong that it over regulates the limbic system. Right. And it's actually a shutting down of their emotions. Yeah. Um, and they have a harder time connecting with themselves. Mm-hmm. So when we have people who have greater anxiety, they start to um, see safe things like failure mm-hmm. as being dangerous, mm-hmm. like failure in a business as being dangerous, mm-hmm. or we've got people who can't connect to their emotions. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, you know, and it's a spectrum. It's not an either or. There's a spectrum here. Um, and and when people have those effects, their ability to control and regulate their emotions as well as navigate the emotions of others are just impeded. And so what therapy modalities like EMDR do 
is they help reprogram the mind so that these different brain networks work more effectively together. And for a weird reason, because of lateral stimulation, whether that's eye movement, tapping, hearing sounds, that helps facilitate that process. Wow. I, our brains are fascinating, aren't they? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So fascinating. Um, that's amazing. So I, I want to go back when you said uh, heat heat moments. That takes me back to the, the mom, I need a new iPhone because this isn't working anymore. That yes. to me sounds a bit like a heat moment, right? So it is, yeah. Just, yeah, tying back to that. And I think those two sound really good. And I think it would be easier not to have a heat moment and to come to this decision by yourself and, you know, go, okay, yeah, I, I hear this. I would like to grow um, rather than have to go through some other trauma in order to grow. But both are just as effective and we all go through trauma all the time. It's just what we do with it and, and how we learn from it. That That is the difference, yeah. I think. Um, well, I think one of the most beautiful messages for me about understanding vertical development and its connection to our body's nervous system and even to trauma then the, ultimately the, the takeaway is if we want to vertically develop, we've got to heal ourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's, that's just a, a really beautiful message. And I think one in which I think everybody can get behind. Yes. Yeah. And, and I think like you, most people probably don't feel like they've been through trauma. And so it is a little bit of that Stockholm syndrome, isn't it? Like you, you fall in love with your captors, like whatever you've been through is just normal. It just feels normal to it you is. until you realize that it isn't. Well, it probably is normal. Uh, it's just not necessarily good for us. Now, I have one question from from the cheap seats, from the people that I've been talking to about that. All right. The different leadership and this may be because I didn't describe them well I'm going to caveat it with that uh, I gave different people descriptions of the three minds and two of them asked the same question which I thought was fascinating so it may be that I've described them wrong but they both said oh I think I'm I think I'm level 3.0 and 1.0 but I don't do level 2.0 anymore. I, I did. Mm. And I'm now not. Is that no. even possible? So not really. So th there's a couple of different ways to think about it. There can be a lot of similarity in terms of how mind 1.0 and mind 3.0 feel. For example, both of them actually feel really safe. Mm -hmm. Mind 2.0, when we're hard charging, we want results, it just doesn't feel as safe. And that's why people can connect with one or the other. So, so, but the, the, one of the question becomes, am I more of a dependent thinker or an interdependent thinker? What is the level of my mental maturity? And, and a mind 1.0 person, it, it is possible for them to be a dependent thinker and they're very much focused on their safety, comfort, and belonging. And ultimately that's, that's what drives them. There can be moments where they, they could still stay a dependent thinker, but moments in which they are concerned about creating value from others. And, and that's what, that's what they're prone to tell themselves. But what I would say for myself as being a, you know, somebody who's operated in my 1.0 and the stories that I tell myself is oftentimes when I go about the business of creating value for others. I am doing so to feel more safe, comfortable, and like I belong. Mm -hmm. 
Right. So it's ultimately what is what is the you know so it's thinking am I you know to what degree am I a dependent thinker versus independent and interdependent and, and to where where ultimately are my where do my motives lie at, at the end of the day is it is it ultimately on my safety comfort and belonging and it's not easy to navigate in in those waters but but it the framework helps us to step in and to start to do that process. So that's one perspective. Here's another perspective that, that I also find helpful. It's one thing to ask the question, what is my vertical altitude? And that's really good, but almost to the point of maybe maybe your, your friends and colleagues is many of us could see multiple levels within ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. You even say at times, I think I'm mine 2.0 and others on mine 3.0, right? So another question we can ask ourselves is not just simply what is my vertical altitude, it's what is my center of gravity? What level do I spend the greatest percentage of my time? Because I think the reality is, is that we do have the ability to shift between levels. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it's what percentage of my time am I spending at each of these levels? And where am I spending the mo- majority of my time? What is my home base? What do I fall back to? particularly when I'm stressed or overwhelmed. And that'll give us a good, you know, another way to assess our vertical development and where we're at in our journey. That question, that's that's a good reflective question. When I'm feeling stressed and overwhelmed, where am I sitting? What's my default position? Uh, Yeah, I think that will be enlightening for many people. (laughs) I like that. Okay, I could I could ask many more questions. I could definitely go on all day, um, but I want to be mindful of your time. So just touched on the assessments. I'd love for you to share with others because I think, you know, it is really helpful to see where you're at at the moment and understand what the questions are, even help you understand a little bit more about vertical development. Um, so where can people find that? And definitely where can people buy your latest book from or your other one? Um, because they're both amazing. Yeah, well, th- yeah, thanks for asking. Uh, so uh, best place to go is my website, ryangoffertson.com, and you'll see a little button that says free assessments. I've got two assessments on the website. One is a vertical development assessment, which is associated with my new book, The Elevated Leader. And then there's another assessment, a mindset assessment that's associated with my first book, Success Mindsets. And they're both very much related. We haven't, we don't have the time to, to dive into detail, but vertical development is the what we need to do. The how we go about doing it, we've talked about some of the things uh, like therapy could be one of those things, having heat experiences. Um, but at, at a foundational level, if we want to vertically develop, we've actually got to focus on and shift our mindsets. And so the mindset assessment is another way to get a more nuanced look at the areas where we have need for greater vertical development. So hopefully both of those assessments and, and to your point, both of those books can be helpful to, for folks. Yes, fantastic. I will pop the link for that for your website in the show notes as well. So people can just click on that and get to it really easily. Um, and yeah, I highly recommend doing both assessments. They are fascinating. Uh, the mindset work is where I, you know, that's what I focus on in my courses and at work. I'm very lucky that I get to play with mindsets in all of my dimensions. But it's it is, I don't know, to me, it's one of the most important things for us to work on to to get right to elevate our entire life right it's not just about leadership it feels like it at the beginning but when you go through this journey your whole life changes I think I heard you on a podcast recently saying it's a reinvention 
as you go up through levels. And that's, to me, that was a really good description of what it feels like. I often talk about if I met myself on the street from even five years ago, I don't think I'd recognize myself. I am a, a different person and grateful for it. Very grateful. Yeah, that's beautiful. It's yeah. beautiful that you can say that. That's awesome. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time today. I've enjoyed our discussion. I may have to get you back one day because like I said, I could I could ask questions forever um, and we didn't Great. even touch on the mindsets, which is also super important. But yeah, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for uh, allowing me, creating the space to have some discussions about hopefully a topic that will help people elevate themselves or reinvent yourself to use yes. that phrase. Yes, thanks, Ryan. Thank you. Thanks for joining me this week. If you want to continue the conversation about vertical development, why not join us in the Women in Leadership Facebook group? You will find the link in the show notes along with the links to Ryan Gottfriedson's assessment and his books all available via his webpage. There is a lot to love about the Women in Leadership Facebook group. Lots of support, lots of guidance, a few memes and lots of jokes. If you got value out of this episode, I would love it if you could share it with others. It really was a valuable episode. And of course, if you've been listening to podcasts for any amount of time, you will know that rating the show and leaving a review helps others find the show. And I really would appreciate it. Until next week, continue to lead the way her way. Hey.